Luke chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 67 through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 80. This has been a, um, a journey for armor as we are going through the Gospel of Luke. And we have been journeying away through this, this narrative that Luke has set up for us. Now Luke, you remember, he's not only a physician, but he's also a historian who accompanied the Apostle Paul around on his journeys through his missionary endeavors to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Luke has gathered together these eyewitness accounts from ministers of the Word and put them together in what we have here in the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke actually gives us the purpose for why he wrote this Gospel. It was so that we, you and I, and Theophilus, this guy named Theophilus, which his name means God lover or lover of God, it gives us certainty concerning the things that are taught in the Gospel accounts. But when we read the Gospels, we're not presented with just an ancient story that's historically accurate of a, a good man who was unjustly murdered with the moral of the story being just be good people. No. When we read these Gospel accounts, we are confronted with the Son of God, the eternal second person of the Trinity who has come down to earth, was one who took on human flesh, fully God, fully man, born of the Virgin Mary, God, the Creator of the whole universe, including this, this, this little tiny planet called Earth, and including you and me. And God, yes, the Most High God, as we have sung about, the, the mighty, might, great God of heaven and earth, He has come down to save His people from their sins. So we could well ask with Psalm 8, What is man that you are mindful of him? The Son of Man that you have come to visit him. Now, that Gabriel... The angel Gabriel had come to Zechariah. You know the story well. The account when Zechariah was in the temple and he was doing the service of priests. He got to do once in a lifetime. And he had been confronted with this message from the angel. Angel had said to him, Zechariah, don't, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Zechariah, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a child, even in your old age. And you will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will go before the Lord God to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people who are prepared for the Lord. But here's the problem. Zechariah didn't believe the angel. And so the angel had to um, give him a sign. Zechariah is asked for a sign. Would you please give me a sign because I don't believe you? Something you don't say to an angel. And Zechariah should have known his Bible well, right? Because Abraham and Sarah had a child in their old age and, 
And Zechariah is here asking the very same question that Abraham did. He, he should have known better. And so the Lord does give Zechariah a sign. It was a gracious sign. You will not speak. You will not speak. It was a gracious sign because really this represents the 400 years that God had been silent. But God had not spoken through a prophet. God had not spoken to his people. And perhaps many in Israel were wondering, will God keep his promises? Will God keep his promises that he made to Abraham? That a seed would come from Abraham. Or or his promise to David. A seed will come from your loins, David. who A king who will destroy all his and our enemies. A, A king who will sit on the throne of David and his kingdom will last forever. What about that promise, Lord? Will you not answer that promise? You've been silent. And so Zechariah is silent. And then just before this passage, if you were to read, you would find that there is the covenant sign of circumcision that is given to John. And there, eight days after John had been born, he is taken and he is circumcised. And at his circumcision, they go to name him. Of course, all the the friends and neighbors and family, they, they want to name him Zechariah after his father. But... Guess what? The angel had already said his name shall be called John. And so Elizabeth says, no, his name is John. It's not we're going to name him John. His name is John. So they, of course, turn to Zechariah, thinking because he can't speak, he probably can't hear either. So they make all these signs to him. He asks for a writing tablet, and he just writes something simple. His name is John. At that, his tongue is loosed. And he gives glory to God. And that is what we're going to look at here in Luke chapter 1. But before we read, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we do thank you for this word that you have given to us. And we ask that you would, by your Spirit, enable us to receive it not as just something, a beautiful poem. Not simply as something that moves us or fills us with sentiment, but... Something with His true, life-changing, life-transforming. Lord, grant that we should hear it with the hope of Christ, the trust in Him in our hearts. Renew our minds, illumine our hearts, open our eyes to behold the wonderful things in Your Word. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. Now let us give our attention to the reading of God's Holy Word from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse number 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, 
to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. All flesh is as grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. And that includes His promises. So I want you to contemplate for a moment. Put yourself in Zechariah's shoes, or his sandals as it were. He had just prophesied a very hard life for his son. And we get to even see at this last verse that here John is... It didn't go out to the wilderness to begin his ministry. He was out in the wilderness, even unto his ministry. But when Zechariah speaks here of this prophecy, it's not primarily about his son John. You will see it begins actually primarily about Zechariah's Lord, his Christ, his Messiah his king of kings. And his son got to herald the coming of the king of kings. This is the promise that God had given to Israel through the centuries. Abraham had received this. David had received promises. All these promises get to be fulfilled right before Zechariah's eyes. The Messiah had finally come. He had come to redeem His people. He had come to provide mercy to sinners. He had come to shed light on their darkness and to lead them in the way of peace. Much of what Zechariah rehearses here is the great promises that God has made to David and to Abraham long ago, long before Zechariah's time. And if you come to uh, the evening service at Armour this evening, we've been walking through Second Samuel, and by God's providence, we'll be in Second Samuel 7, which re- is referenced right here by Zechariah. And we won't take time to read through that this afternoon, but you, you can go home and read it. It is a wonderful promise of what God has given to His people. A promise of a king who would sit on a throne forever. A good benevolent, gracious, merciful, just King. But what was promised long ago gets to be fulfilled here in Christ. But let me tell you that if if you can understand who Jesus is, if you can understand what He has come to do, and if, and if by faith you receive and rest upon Christ alone for your salvation, as He is offered in the Gospel, you too will, will follow the very imperative that we can find in this text. And that is to serve your covenant God. You must serve your covenant God. And the text gives us three reasons. The first being, He planned our redemption. Second, He provided covenant mercy. And lastly, He promises light to show us peace. You need to serve your covenant, God. First of all, we see in verses 67 down to verse 69, 
we must serve our covenant God because He planned our redemption. Now, mind you, nine months have passed since Zechariah had met the angel. He had, he had some time to think in silence. He, he has no choice but to be still and ponder what the angel had said to him. And here in this prophecy of Zechariah, we can see the fruit of such listening, such pondering, reading, meditating upon the promises of God. God has come. And God has come to redeem. Of course, Israel too had their time of silence. That 400 years, no prophecy had been heard. That The change in Zechariah's life was a, a mini-reflection of what had happened in Israel. The voice of prophecy been silent. But now, it has become quite prevalent in Israel all of a sudden. There's a whole bunch of angelic activity. That Gabriel comes to Zechariah, then comes to Mary, and we will see later. It comes to Joseph, it comes to shepherds, angels are coming all over the place, and people are prophesying. Zechariah is prophesying. Mary gives a prophecy. Uh, you even have Ananias and, or, and all these surrounding prophecies that come. The apostles end up coming up and following Christ, and Christ Himself being the chief prophet. All of a sudden, God has spoken. And when He has spoken, it is to redeem. It's to redeem His people. But this wasn't something that was new to them. This wasn't something they had never seen before. They had the promises of God. Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe that the prophets long ago prophesied by the inspiration of God's Spirit that one day there would be a Messiah and that Christ is the fulfillment of that very promise? I mean, Luke's account of this should excite the hopes and fears of ordinary people like you and me. Because you and I, we need hope. We need to see that promise fulfilled, that God always keeps His promises. There are real people that struggle with doubt. And Luke is writing for their confidence. There are real people who have heartaches, who have failures, who have seen their sin for what it is. And they realize that they need mercy. They need grace. They need the fulfillment of a promise. And this is what happens in Christ. This grand new period of redemption and this epoch of redemptive history comes now. The Creator has come to rescue this groaning creation. He has come to save His people from their sin. God not only rescues one elderly lady, Elizabeth, from her barrenness and Zechariah from his sadness and disbelief, but my friends, He comes to rescue even sinners today. And give us comfort. We know that we are not our own. But we belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ. With His precious blood. Has freely pardoned us of all our sin. Is that your hope? Have you been redeemed, bought with the precious blood of Christ? 
how crucial it is for us to remember this. Even on our worst days, when we are going through the pit, the valley of the shadow of death, we need to remember that there is something bigger than us, bigger than this life. There is someone who has saved us from our sins. Let this passage point us to the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I mean, for centuries the Jewish people had languished under the sense that maybe God had forgotten about them. Prophecies had ceased. Now Rome had oppressed Israel. Their land had been trampled by the Ptolemies and Seleucids. Over and over again, Israel seems to have been forgotten from all appearances. It could have been as what the psalmist felt at times. They say, where is your God? And no doubt the saints were praying, Lord, hear our cry from your holy hill of Zion. Even now, hear our cry. And that answer comes. And Zechariah rejoices that here is a plan to, to redeem his redemption. His promise has finally come to fruition. The great kinsman redeemer has come down. The, the Lord is on his way. The king is coming. Here is the king of kings and lord of lords. And he tells this to Zechariah and to Mary, to the, the Simeon and, and to the, the priestess Anna. He tells all these people, the shepherds in the wilderness, the magi who are coming. Jesus is coming. This is great news. And it's not just great news for shepherds in a field. It's not just great news for a virgin or an elderly lady. This is great news for all who are sinners. He has a plan to redeem. And verse 68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for He hath visited and redeemed His people. It's as good as done. God always keeps His promises. He has raised up a horn of salvation. He has sounded the trumpet call, as it were. The battle is the Lord's. And Christ is coming. But it's not going to come as many people expected. Some, some actually thought that Jesus would come and the Messiah would come and, and He would chase out the Romans, He would set up a new kingdom, and God's people Israel would be His favorite people and He would just do away with all His and our enemies at that time. But my dear friends, don't rush it. God has a plan to redeem. Because you still had the problem of your sin. And you need to be redeemed of your sin. You need to have someone who never sinned to earn that righteousness. And then you needed to have someone pay for your sin. Because you deserve the wrath and curse of God for your sin. And in Christ, we have God who has become man, fully God, fully man. He needed to be man because man is the one who sinned. He becomes fully God, fully man, earns perfect righteousness, gives that to us, a perfect robe of righteousness, takes our filthy rags, that's the best we could do, filthy rags, and He suffers the wrath and curse of God. That is God's plan to redeem His people. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe in Jesus Christ and what He has done? Have you beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? If so, a right response is to serve your covenant God. Serve your covenant God by, because he, he planned our redemption. But secondly, we see in verses 70 to 75, because He provided covenant mercy. He provided covenant mercy. It is referenced here, there, there's two big names that you will probably recognize here. In verse 70, he says, And he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies, and from the hand of all that hate us. Now I want to pause there for a moment. For a moment. From the beginning of the world, there have been prophets. God had spoken to his people. You can read of this, for example, in Hebrews chapter 1, how God in, in diverse ways had even spoke to us by the mouths of his prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son Jesus. So, what Zechariah is saying here is common knowledge. This whole Old Testament that we have is a prophet's under the inspiration of God's Spirit telling us of the Christ, the Messiah, the one who would come to save His people from their sins. This is what it's all been about. So way back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of Adam and Eve. In in verse 15, God speaks a promise. He gives the very first promise of the Gospel to Satan. That's whom He's speaking to in Genesis 3.15. And the promise is that one day a seed of the woman is going to crush your head. You might bruise his heel. He will come to save his people. Then you remember God made a promise to Abraham. And Zechariah is going to mention that here in a little bit. And then he made a promise to David. And that's what he's referencing here. If you were to turn over to Second Samuel chapter 7 and read this portion, you would see this, he's quoting the covenant that God had made with David. That God would establish one of David's seed upon the throne of David forever, and that he would rescue them from all and deliver them from all their enemies. Well, that's pretty important. I mean, David pretty much has peace near the end of his life. Solomon seems to have some peace, relatively speaking. But really, that was the extent of it. I mean, after that, the kingdom divided. There was wars even within All the more without, they end up going to exile. And even as Zechariah is there holding his son John, there's probably Roman guards outside. The Romans had come through. Over and over again, Israel has enemies. They have more enemies than anything else. They had enough to pass around. Is God going to deliver us from our enemies? This was a promise. God, are you going to keep a promise? And the answer that Zechariah understands through the prophet prophecy that is given to him by God, is that yes, He will deliver you from your enemies. But don't think that your enemies are flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Against principalities and powers. I mean, the ultimate enemy for the Christian is sin and death. Right? Satan, one day he will be bound and cast never to bother us again. 
our sin when we die and go to heaven or the Lord comes back, depending on which comes first, our sin will be no more. And He will even put death under His feet. And when He does, all His and our enemies will be destroyed. This is a glorious promise. Lord, are You going to keep this promise? We long for that. Zechariah had some doubts. But then, through God's providence, those doubts were alleviated. But guess what, my friends? You and I have been given great and precious promises. And we have been told to hold on. Remain steadfast and sure. Don't give up. Because God will keep His promises. God always keeps His promises. And yes, one day, even the sin that you wrestle with, dear Christian, even the death that you hate so much when you see it in the ones you love, even the aches and pains that we feel, one day it will all go away. The aching in your heart that in that pit that not in the pit of your stomach. Because you're going through a trial, a tribulation. Guess what? One day he will wipe even every tear of yours away. This is a great promise that he has given to us. He has provided this as a covenant mercy. But look but look, this is the promise that he gives to us through the prophets in the Old Testament. You know, it's pretty important. We should be diligent about reading even the Old Testament. But notice in in verse 72 where Zechariah says that God will come to show mercy. He will come to remember His covenant not just to David, but also to Abraham. I mean, this is is the fountain, as it were, from which our redemption flows. This, This merciful and gracious covenant God. The great reason that He did so was because... God remembers His covenant. Not, not, not that God forgot. He uses that word as an analogy to remember finally God acts in His own time at the appointed time. God might seem like He has forgotten. 400 years of silence. After since the beginning of the world always having a, a word from God. Has God forgotten? Now you and I might be sitting here thinking, 400 years is nothing. Try living 2,000. But God is not silent. He is not forgotten. He always keeps His covenant. He always remembers His promises. Don't give up. Don't give in. Hold fast. Hold fast. God has shown in Christ every blessing, every fulfillment of His promises. Come in Christ. Look to Christ. Look to Jesus and live. Notice also that Zechariah speaks of the mercy that is performed in his own age as extending back to the fathers who are already dead. Also, they got to share in equally in these results. Remember, the Gospel was preached to Abraham. The Gospel was preached long ago through the prophets. Promised. In Genesis 3.15 to Adam and Eve and, and Satan, the Gospel is promised that one day, one day the seed would come. The seed of the woman. The offspring of Noah. The descendant of Abraham. One who would sit on David's throne. 
This is a promise and he has always kept it. There are times when the remnant might seem to be ever so small. Times when God's people seem to get so small we feel like we're the only one left. Or the only few left. But God always keeps a remnant. I mean, the flood, there were only eight souls left. Eight souls. Can you imagine that? I'm sure you can because there's eight plus me here. Alright? Eight souls. But the important thing is, are we in the ark of Christ? He will remember His covenant mercy. Are we in the covenant? Are we trusting in Christ? Are we resting in His promises? Because neither Abraham nor any of the saints in the Old Testament, none of them could procure their own salvation. None of them were good enough to get to heaven on their own merit. It goes for you and I today. Our merit, our belonging to the covenant people of God, our being adopted by Christ is not dependent upon anything that we could do. God's covenant mercy depends on Christ. He is the one who had to come. He is the one who had to earn righteousness for our sake. So why did, why did Jesus save us? Well, you've heard it said perhaps that, well, God wanted a relationship with you and therefore He saves you. And while that is true, in a sense, we all have a relationship with God. It could be He's our judge. He will condemn us. He is our Creator. There's a relationship in that sense. So maybe that's a bit vague, but, but Zechariah actually gives here a very clear answer. It is, look with me. It says, this is the reason why He would do this. So that we might, in verse 74, we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all the days of our life. Break that down for a moment. Right? This is, this is the main point of the text. We ought to serve our covenant God. We ought to serve Him. But how should we serve our covenant God? We serve Him without fear. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't there that psalm that we are to serve the Lord with fear? Yes, but this is in context of fear of our enemies. We can serve the Lord without fear of our enemies. We do serve the Lord in fear of our God. But we serve Him without fear of what our enemies could do. What can men do unto me? Right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. So we serve Him without fear. We serve Him in holiness. We serve Him in righteousness. This is what God has called us to do. We are not saved to just go back to however we want to live. We are not God's people and therefore we can do what is right in our own eyes. We are called to serve the Lord in holiness. To be holy vessels before the Lord. Are we doing that? This is a very practical implication for us. A very practical imperative that we get to live out. Are we living holy lives? Are we living lives in righteousness? This is what He's called us. This is why He saved us. So that we might serve Him in holiness and righteousness. But don't think that you can just put on your Sunday clothes, your Sunday smile, and therefore live God while I go to church, I do a couple right things, and I'm good. 
Because notice that we serve the Lord before Him. That is, before His face. See, man sees the outside, but God sees the heart. You serve the Lord and you serve before Him. In His presence. He sees your every thought. Every word you speak. He sees the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Know that you will never, ever, ever be able to hide anything from God. This is what He's called us to do. And we will serve Him imperfectly. We will sin every day in thought, word, and deed. But we can't trust in our own works to get us to heaven. And we cannot trust in our own works to sanctify us. He has to do the work in us, doesn't He? It's God who does that work in us. According to His will, according to His pleasure. And then, we only work according to His work in us. As He works out and lives His work in us through the Holy Spirit, we get to work out our salvation with fear and in trembling. It is sad today that so many Christians think, well, I, I, I said a prayer. I said a prayer. That's good enough. I, I'm going to heaven. So I can don't, so don't bother me with the whole sanctification issue. The holy living, oh, it sounds all legalistic to me. But let me share this for you, friend. This isn't just about a prayer or something you did or a life change you had many years ago. In fact, what does Zechariah say here? We serve Him holiness and righteousness before Him how long? All of our days. Endure to the end. Endure to the end. When you serve your covenant God, you have to do it to the very end. He that endures to the end will be saved. Not because you're so good, but because the work that God begins, He always finishes. That's His promise. That's His promise to you. And that is why you have been redeemed to serve God in holiness and righteousness before Him all your days. And so, serve your covenant God. Because He planned our redemption. He provided covenant mercy. But lastly, we see that He promises light to show us peace. In verses 76 to the end, now there is a, a bit of a turn in Zechariah's prayer here. And now he shifts his attention away from Christ to his son and talks about what God has called his son to do. Certainly as Zechariah would grow and grow more frail, he was already an elderly man, he would be increasingly aware that he wasn't going to see his son perhaps attain adulthood and begin his ministry. And I don't know whether Zechariah was ever able to give the words of the prophecy to his son right here. We just don't know when Zechariah died. However, we do know this. That the words here at the end of Zechariah's prophecy entail the prayers of a godly man for his son. God's revelation of what he would attain when he became a man. Zechariah spoke of his son's call to be a herald, to go before the King of Kings, the Messiah, to prepare the way for him, to call the nation, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. The sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is what John would preach. This is your message. Your sermons are given to you by God. 
In other words, Zechariah is telling his son of the appearance of the light of the world. There is the light of the world in Christ. And John gets to herald that. He gets to point people to the light. He gets to show them the way of salvation by pointing to Jesus. As John said, he must increase and I must decrease. And then Zechariah, in effect, tells his son, son, I'm going to have very little, perhaps, to, to leave you after my days, but what a gift that you have to offer people. You give them, look what it says at the end there in verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness, the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is what he's given. But this comes under the heading of salvation. Because if you were to back up to verse 77, it says, to give knowledge of salvation unto His people by the remission of their sins. What do you do with your sin? What do you do with your guilt? See, John didn't come to bring salvation. He came to bring the knowledge of salvation. To tell them where they could find remission of sins, forgiveness, so that they, like Isaiah, when the angel took the hot coal off the altar and put it to his lips, he could hear, your sins are atoned for. He longed for the forgiveness of sins. That's the way of salvation. That's what God has come to give us. Forgiveness of sin. Removal of our guilt. Freedom at last. Peace with God at whom we have been at enmity all our life. And now we can have peace. We've been in darkness all this time. And the light has come. The light of the world. This is what is offered to us. It's all because of the tender mercy of God. We have no leverage to plead with God. We have no deal to make with God. We have no, nothing that we deserve from the Lord. It's because of our sin. We have forfeited every right to even the smallest of blessing. But because of God's tender mercy, we have light. The deliverance from darkness, from death itself. And we have a, the way to heaven, the way to the Father. And it isn't John. He's just going to point to the path. Point to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The way to the Father through Christ. And what a guide for your feet. To preach the Word of God. You see, we're being told about here the nature and condition of our own soul here in this very message that we see that we have a need because the condition of our heart is so black and so dark that the path of the wicked, the proverb says, is darkness. He does not know even what makes him stumble. Maybe you know something of that for yourself. You feel like you are in the dark, stumbling and and groping, searching for peace, for forgiveness of sins, for answers. You just can't find them. 
Well, Zechariah is bursting here. It's a good news for us. The sun has risen. Morning has broken. The day star from on high has risen to give its light in our darkness. You and I don't need to stagger and stumble in spiritual darkness. We don't need to wander in ignorance anymore. There is the light of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, eternal life. But not just light. He says, this is the light of peace. Not just illumination, but a comfort for our souls. Because the consequence of Christ having shed light upon our steps that we no longer stumble is that He gets to show us the way. He gets to guide our feet, as Zechariah says, into the way of peace, the way of rest, the way of fullness for our anxious, shame-filled hearts, for our troubled consciences. In Jesus, there is peace for you. Peace from your guilt. Freedom from your sin. So why did Jesus come? Why do every year we celebrate the birth of the Messiah? It's because Jesus has come to reconcile you with God. You who have sinned. You who have guilt upon your shoulders. God has come down in human flesh to bring you peace. We need to be made right with God in the courts of heavenly justice because we are guilty. And if we stand before the judge on our own, He will say, you are guilty. And you will pay the penalty. Even one small sin is enough to get get you eternal death in the flames of hell forever. So you need to be made right. You need to have peace with the judge. And that is only done through another's righteousness. Christ Himself. The God whose plan was accomplished whose provision is complete, who keeps His Word and cares for your soul personally, is Jesus Christ. Now, do you know Him? Better yet, does He know you? Is He your God? Are you His people, the sheep of His pasture? Or will you continue to stumble in darkness without Him? Only He is our life. Only He is our light. Only He can meet your deepest need of the remission of sins. Only He is the answer for the heart cries. The removal of your guilt. God's perfect provision in the Lamb of God. So serve your covenant God. Serve your covenant God. Because He planned our redemption. He provided covenant mercy and He promises to show light for our peace. Now for some of you, you might be sitting here and think that, well, you're fine just the way you are. You're good enough. fact is, you, you really have no intention of calling out to God and asking Him to save you from your sin and guilt. But I want you to understand, here in Zechariah's prophecy, Did you notice that it constantly emphasized the work of God in our redemption? 
It's not a poem of how men save themselves. It's not a prophecy how God helps those who help themselves. It's a revelation about God sovereignly coming in response to His own Word, His own commitment, His own covenant to redeem and rescue His people. Sinners who are still and know that He is God, they know this one thing. They are a sinner. And if they have any hope of being able to serve their victorious Lord in a manner that He is worthy of doing so, if they have any hope of enjoying eternal life without being afraid of Satan pulling us into hell with Him, then we must repent of our sin and put our trust in the Lord. Only then can we serve Him in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. So, who are those then who will eagerly receive such a gift? A gift from God. It's those who know that they need the gift. The fact is, if you were to offer to me to... I'll rush you to the hospital real quick. I'm probably going to say... That's okay. I don't need to get to the hospital. But if you were to point out to me that I have this bad rash that's quickly spreading and starting to burn all over my face, I might be grateful for a ride to the hospital. If You might get a little frustrated if you're on your way home and you think you're doing everything okay and you get pulled over. What to do now? Until he points out that your gas tank's on fire. Right? Here's the truth, my friends. Sometimes we don't realize we need a Savior until we realize that we are a sinner on our way to hell. Do you know that? That's what Jesus meant when He said, I came to call sinners to repentance, not the righteous. If you think you're righteous, this isn't for you. And the righteous who don't need Christ will end up in hell along with all those who will not repent. So my friend, if you sit here this morning and this afternoon, I should say, you're, you're not eager to receive the gift of salvation that you is, that is given to you and offered to you in the gospel through the work that Christ accomplished on the cross. If you're not ready to do that, then you've not yet realized exactly how sinful you are, how God sees you, and how needful you are of His saving mercy and redemption. You don't realize that you have the eternally terminal illness of unforgiven sin and the weight of guilt upon your shoulders. Look into the mirror of God's law and realize that you have sinned against God and you need a Savior. The Savior of which Zechariah has been telling us about this morning. Now, dear Christian, this Spirit-inspired proclamation that Zechariah gives here gives us a, a beautiful and really a powerful picture of the Gospel. You and I might be tempted to think that, well, the Gospel is something for those who aren't saved and once we have the Gospel, we've experienced it, now we just kind of move on and we go back to our day-to-day things, right? We often think of the, the Gospel as a message of God just mainly legally forgiving sins. It's a justification because of Christ's work on the cross. And that's where it is. Well, that is the Gospel, but... Zechariah's song, along with many other passages in the Bible, show us that the gospel is actually 
more comprehensive than just that. The gospel gets to be explained here. The good news of Christ is God visiting and and staying with His people, saving us from our enemies, fulfilling His ancient promises and covenants for us, delivering us so that we might serve Him without fear, forgiving our sins, shining light into our darkness, guiding us into a life of peace. This gospel is full of mercy. God not giving us what we deserve. And it's full of God's grace. God giving us good things that we don't deserve at all. God gives us countless gifts, not the least of which is His own presence. When God is with His people. And when we begin to grasp the breadth and the depth of God's gracious, comprehensive work through Christ as it is described here in this short poem, our hearts ought to be engaged with a renewed vigor and devotion to God. We begin then to get a a vision for all that God is for us. Understanding that the Gospel in this broader way makes Jesus not just the the, the religious part of our lives, but really the focus of all our hopes. Every moment of every day is spent in meditation upon the goodness of God. We should meditate regularly on the fullness of our salvation. That's what it means. That's what it means to truly believe the Gospel. And then to live it out. And that's what it means to serve our covenant God. Let us pray.